This is a financial promotion. If you decide to invest, please remember that investment involves risk. Investments can go up and down in value, so you can get back less than what you put in. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance and may not be repeated. Welcome back to another episode of the Ravenscroft podcast. I am Georgie Fletcher, a portfolio manager in our discretionary investment management team, and I'm joined by... I'm Sean McDade, also a portfolio manager in the discretionary management team, and my first outing in the podcast studio, so be, be gentle with me, Georgie. I shall, I shall. <laughs> we originally framed this discussion as challenges and opportunities for investors in 2023. At my suggestion... I want to flip it around and say opportunities and challenges because there is always a positive side to every negative out there in the markets. Markets are, I wouldn't necessarily say, unusually challenging at this point in time. There are always things, reasons to be cheerful and and reasons to be fearful out there, usually in equal measure. And it's how you cope with those and and address them that I think is, is the biggest issue here rather than which way we put them around, but let, let's put a positive spin on it. By far and away the widest subject available to us. We could be here all day if we wanted to, but let's try and distill it down to the main points and, and the big issues that are out there right now, starting with geopolitics and specifically, I suppose, at the centre of it all, the ongoing war in Ukraine. Yeah, we're sort yeah. of one year on, aren't we, really? Kind of almost to the day. What was originally intended to be a a, a three-day takeover by the Russian forces has clearly turned into a one-year with no end uh, of the conflict in sight. I guess the biggest danger we could think of is an escalation in the conflict, not necessarily from a physical point of view, as in new actors putting boots on the ground, but in terms of participation in what is effectively a proxy war. You have West piled up against East, in terms of the, the US, Europe, UK, all siding with the Ukrainians, whereas Russia has received some support at a marginal level. I guess the biggest concern would be China getting involved. They have been conspicuously and tacitly neutral in this whole affair. There have been the odd comments of, I wouldn't necessarily say support, but acknowledgement as far as Russia's position is concerned. But more recently, We have heard some speculation that China might get involved in terms of supplying weapons or support to Russia, which really would ratchet things up from a geopolitical perspective. Let's hope that doesn't happen, but that could certainly raise the temperature as far as geopolitical uh, challenges are concerned. And in terms of how that affects the way we invest, maybe that's a, a nice slow full toss for you, Georgie, to segue into where we see the advantages or, or the, the opportunities that, that, that have come about as a result of that conflict. Yeah, I think the sort of ongoing war in, in Ukraine has thrown up a whole host of issues, really. One of the main ones being energy and food security. There's sort of a lot of talk about companies reassessing their supply chains going forward. And I think different businesses will be more concerned with the quality of their supply chain rather than the sort of speed or, or the cost. But for us within our portfolios and, and the opportunities that we're seeing is definitely within the energy space. Last year, for, for the last 30 years, global energy and sort of demand and supply have, have been quite matched. However, last year, there was an energy supply deficit, which opened up at about 2%. And it's expected that that could increase to sort of 8% by 2030. 
Production of energy from from fossil fuels we've seen has been rolling over the last couple of years. And whilst energy from renewables is is increasing, it's just not increasing at a fast enough pace. So that warrants the need for investment within both traditional energy sources and the, the kind of transition space. To get from the carbon heavy economy where we are today to that potentially carbon light future is a transition we're not going to be there tomorrow we need investment in the traditional space to I guess help move us along an increase for for demand of energy is growing populations are growing across the world there's been a definite lack of investment within um, transition infrastructure and so for us, as, uh, as managers, we believe that there are structural tailwinds behind energy prices and kind of no matter what's going on with geopolitics, the need to accelerate infrastructure spending within the space is an opportunity that we are looking to implement within our client portfolios. And we think the best space to be within the energy space is kind of having a foot in both camps, so to speak. So both the traditional space and the, the, and the transition space, rather. So yeah, I guess, watch this space. (laughs) Staying with geopolitics and I guess looking at another challenge facing the world, we've briefly mentioned China. And I think specifically the tensions with the US have kind of dominated headlines for for the last year or so. The sort of relations between the US and China have felt at times almost as volatile as markets last year. And I think the latest fallout has been over spy balloons. The US has claimed that Chinese military balloons have crossed the airspace of more than 40 countries across um, five continents. And despite the US seemingly to have uh, sort of evidence to to back up their claims. China continues to deny this. But that said, China is reopening and that obviously creates a whole host of of opportunities. Chinese consumers have years of pent-up saving. Exports from China is generally deflationary for 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 the economy. And then there there are opportunities within uh, the sort of regions around China and, and possibly commodities. So Sean, how how do you think we are best to kind of play this within portfolios? Sure. Look, I, I think the, the China's decision to reopen and, and drop all its uh, its COVID related restrictions uh, came as a surprise to most, particularly after a, a sort of period during which the Beijing authorities were sort of exercising much more of their authoritarian side rather than you know hand, handing handing freedoms out to their populations but there's very much a positive side to the reopening of the of the Chinese economy i think at a at a big picture level this is going to offset some of the downward pressure you've seen on economic growth from the, the issues we've kind of discussed at length in, in, in previous podcasts, there is a general acceptance that the global economy is slowing. China's rejoining of, uh, of the global economy, if you like, as a result of its reopening, will offset some of the, 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 the downward pressure on, on, on economic growth. And it does have very positive aspects for um, a number of themes, I suppose, which we as a manager are, are already tapped into. One of which, obviously, is the Asian consumer or the emerging consumer. Um, this is sort of specifically uh, focused in Asia. But having been locked away for the best part of three years, saving during that time, to the Chinese population or big chunks of the Chinese population are keen to get out there, spend money in whatever way that may be. 
That could be through travel. Chinese are, tend to be great travellers. They are great travellers globally, but um, particularly within Asia. So the, the, the sort of wider Asia, Asian region will benefit from that as far as Japan. And companies that will benefit from those that kind of activity are very well represented within, within our portfolios from the point of view of that theme. I think it's whether you invest directly in China or do it through a roundabout way is uh, is very much a question that we bat around the, the group amongst the portfolio managers because it is a tricky one. There are always concerns over things like the standard of governance within the, within Chinese companies with the government using companies and in specifically companies in which they have either stakes or gold or some sort of influence as policy vehicles. So it, it makes investing in China quite tricky. China tends to be probably a, a more volatile market than most. And I think from our point of view, perhaps the best way to, uh, to get access to China isn't just necessarily, isn't through China itself, but, but, but through the sort of peripheral markets. That might be Hong Kong, that might be the, the wider Asian region, or even in this instance when we're talking about the, the economy opening up and the, and, the, and the Chinese consumer being led off the leash. European companies in the luxury goods sector, in, in the auto sector, all of those kind of areas, these are, these are companies, the type of companies that are, that are well represented in, in a number of areas within our portfolios, be it uh, within our discretionary portfolios, but it's also in, uh, in vehicles like our blue chip fund. And I think um, I remember you and I having a, a conversation, Sean, a couple of months ago, and we were sort of saying how one of the mistakes that investors or kind of managers make is trying to understand the the Chinese consumer or the people living in China through a Western lens. The way that they function or they live their life is just so, so different from ours that that is perhaps a reason to not put all your eggs into, into one basket and sort of directly invest in, in the region and sort of get your exposure via maybe a European industrials play or a sort of more of an emerging market fund. Indeed, that's a very good point. And, you know, I, I think ultimately we may well end up with a mixture of the two of yeah. direct China investments, either via funds that we're exposed to, but also through those sort of peripheral ways. So it, it's a good balance to have. So talk of sort of food and energy security. It also applies to strategically important commodities like chips you know microchips and perhaps to uh, commodities like uh, metals and rare earths as part of that drive towards security in in those kind of products and areas we are actually seeing a reversal of the globalization that's been a sort of hallmark of perhaps the last uh, 25 30 years that clearly is having an influence on uh, on markets as, as as you rightly say georgie you know Priorities being put on securing uh, supply chains rather than the cost or the time that goes with them. It's not to say that globalization is is dead and buried, but mm-hmm. it's, it's certainly in in specific areas we are seeing that being wound back. That I suppose represents a challenge as we've as we've described, but also an opportunity from an investment point of view. Tell us what we're doing about that. So I think for us, we still see technology and the kind of disruptive nature of technology as a good way to kind of play this deglobalization sort of challenge as people start onshoring and perhaps not 
outsourcing from other countries, the, the importance of technology is going to accelerate. For us, technology and innovation within technology has been a really important part of our investment portfolios and in our process for the last sort of 15 years. But more recently, we've been looking to, I guess, finesse or or focus in on our technology exposure. The global workforce is shrinking and sort of after decades of of expansion, there's a need to increase productivity and labour-saving technologies. And we see artificial intelligence as a sort of obvious beneficiary of this. We need to keep adapting and innovating within the technology space and artificial intelligence is an area which we believe will will likely dominate the space for the next 10 years to come. And when you sort of think about investing into AI, you think that it might be quite a niche or, or focused investment. But actually, AI impacts all sectors of the investment universe. And the adoption of AI across sort of all industries allows for that sector diversification within portfolios. Company adoption of AI is happening at at a sort of rapid rate all over the world. And for the next decade, we see industries sort of very likely will be transformed. And the companies that are at the forefront of this innovation will sort of be set to outperform expectations. So we are looking yeah, to implement this, this across our portfolios and, and these are changes that we, we have actually made across this first quarter. So another challenge that is sort of dominating the headlines is inequality. Within many countries, we've seen inequality sort of rise to to quite dangerous levels. Blue collar workers in high income countries have felt sort of left out by the globalisation that we've been seeing. And that's led to a lot of political polarisation in a lot of developed markets, kind of take Trump, Brexit, we're seeing that in sort of Italy as well. And inflation levels have also sort of exaggerated these wealth gaps. You've kind of got your Joe average and your Joe less than average, and the gap between them has grown over the last year. People, you know, in the UK and and across the world will have to start making tough decisions about whether they can feed themselves or whether they need to heat themselves. So this naturally creates a lot of challenges, but the inequality gap does offer some investment opportunities. We may see regulations being brought in by governments as they try to combat this through fiscal policy. So I don't know, Sean, if you want to perhaps shed some light on how we think we could best play this within portfolios? Certainly. I guess th- this is happening at, at a point when, from a monetary perspective, the horns are being drawn in. You know, that era of the QE era is, is no longer with us. The quantitative tightening that we're seeing and uh, interest rate rises that we've seen and, and are likely to continue to see for a little while longer are happening at the same time as as fiscal packages are being rolled out to uh, to help the less well-off. So there's a kind of balance between the two to be had. I guess most obviously this is impacting uh, the fixed income part of portfolios. We've made a number of changes within portfolios to reflect some of the some of the big moves that we've seen over the last, uh, certainly in, in, in 2022, um, some, some of the largest uh, bond market moves uh, you know, ever ever seen in history, perhaps larger than ever before. The sort of the downside that we saw in in, in fixed income markets has created some fantastic opportunities uh, on a on a medium term view. You know, it wasn't towards the back end of last year. It was possible to uh, to buy into, for example, 
a, uh, a fund investing in uh, short-dated investment-grade credit that was kicking out a yield or, or promising to deliver a yield, not necessarily in income terms, but uh, as, as, a to- as a total return of 7, 8, 9, perhaps even 10%. Those kind of levels of, uh, of yield and not necessarily guaranteed return, but return with a high, uh, a high degree of certainty uh, are, are way above what we've been used to uh, over the last 15, 20 years as, as rates have, have continued to decline. And we've been in that, that low inflation environment. That's led us to slightly being uh, to, to increase exposure to those kind of areas within our uh, with, within the fixed income elements of our portfolio and indeed to to in in, in certain instances to increase the, the the level of fixed income within those portfolios to, to take advantage of those uh, of those opportunities what else have we seen look I, th- I think uh, one of the one of the consequences of all of the policies that we are are discussing has been a greater degree of volatility or likely to be a greater degree of volatility mm-hmm. in things like interest rates and inflation you know right right now we've uh, we've been through a period of rising uh, interest rates and rising inflation it's probably fair to say that we do see a a peak in sight it's 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 getting closer and whilst over the shorter term, we're likely to see uh, both inflation and, and interest rates uh, decline. They're not going to go back to where they originally started. I think structurally, we're seeing high, higher levels of inflation than we had before. Um, the transitory part of the inflation uh, equation will ebb and flow. And that's going to lead over time to uh, you know, volatility in, in both inflation and rates. Perhaps like, you know, akin to what we saw in the 1970s. You know, the, the, the 70s is seen as a decade of, of high inflation. But within that decade, you did see significant swings, both in rates and, in, and, and inflation rates. That creates a, a challenge to a, to a bond fund manager, as well as it creates an opportunity. So one of the ways that we have acted to adapt to an environment that we expect to, I suppose, prevail for the, for the, for the foreseeable future is that we have begun allocating capital to managers with in, in fixed income that have more flexible mandates, yeah. um, managers that can that, that can trade duration and credit as they see fit, according to which way they they, they see the, the the bond market winds blowing. It, it's it's far easier for us to, to to do that through a flexible manager than to try and necessarily be too cute and and, and making those all of those decisions ourselves that's not to say that the, we won't be making some uh, strategic decisions to, uh, to to reflect the changes that are going on in the markets but an element of you know allocating an element to those flexible mandates sort of outsourcing the trickier aspects of, of fixed income management if you like is is something that we think is a good idea, and indeed, since we since we began uh, doing it, it's 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 actually worked out uh, well in our favour. I suppose another thing that we have we have done to adapt to this uh, th- this changing world is allocate bring a new allocation into portfolio uh, construction, which is uh, in the alternative space. We found uh, and are looking at managers who address the perhaps in, in address the, the the investment challenge through different ways than we have uh, historically been used to i think it's important to say we're not doing this uh, this doesn't represent a change uh, necessarily a, a radical change in, in in our approach you know at our 
uh, at our core, we, re- we remain thematic long-term investors. But there, and, you know, there is a recognition that the macro means more and matters more in this kind of environment. And it would be foolish not to acknowledge that and, and take some steps to, uh, to mitigate what, what, what potentially uh, could be seen as a challenge, but on the, on, on the flip side, uh, do represent an opportunity. So I, I guess that, that sort of segues very neatly into a, into a new theme that, that's appeared within portfolios, that of changing, a changing world order. Um, you know, we have included within that theme managers who in, invest in businesses that can both exploit um, or at least mitigate the, uh, the effects of, uh, of inflation and or inflation volatility. There are other, other ideas within those themes that tap into um, that, that changing world. And we think you know, adapting rather than sticking with, necessarily sticking with, with the strategies that have worked as well as they have for a very long time is, is, is the way to approach uh, the investment task going forward. Yeah, correct. And I think in, in summary, as Sean mentioned, we've sort of been investigating a new theme, the, the changing world order theme that we've started reflecting in client portfolios. But what we've been doing also is we've been doing a deep dive into each of our existing themes. So the, the emerging consumer, technology and innovation, um, environmental solutions. And we've been digging down and, and addressing some of the challenges that now face each of these themes in this new world and looking for opportunities. So whether that be new areas of tech, focusing healthcare exposure to a certain sector such as biotechnology or looking at at sort of emerging areas within emerging markets that that look attractive to us so we we believe that the investment backdrop has changed we will continue sticking to our thematic long-term process but picking up um, pockets of value as and when we see them present themselves. Mm -hmm.